The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Episodes may contain adult language. Hey everyone, welcome to Connected, the podcast from Site Street Studio Arts, where we have conversations with members of the arts community. I'm Nick Mataragas, assistant, assistant director at Site Street, and joining me this week is Cray O'Mara. Uh, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing today? I, I am well. How are you? Uh, pretty chill. <laughs> well, that's good. Good. Um, okay. So uh, I discovered your work at um, C2E2, which is the Chicago Comics and Entertainment Expo. Um, and you were in a, in Artist Alley, which for those that don't know or have never been to C2E2, Artist Alley is where uh, a section of the show floor where um, all these artists uh, have booths. Most of them are comic artists, but um, you get all kinds of visual artists down there in, in Artist Alley. Um, so uh, I, I'm kind of curious, how did you end up getting into the con scene? Um, the con scene, I normally went to conventions since I was even in college. Uh, just as an attendee. And so I've always known friends that were in Artist Alley or vendors. Occasionally I would help them. And by occasionally, I mean like once a year, or every other year, I'd help them kind of like sell products just as a means of hanging out with them. Um, but I worked as a graphic designer professionally for about six, seven years. And when I got laid off from one of my jobs, I just knowing that my friends kind of worked in that area, I was like, you know what? I want to be a full-time artist. Screw the office life. Let's see if this works out. And it just kind of spiraled from there. Or not spiraled, but uh, snowballed. I mean, <laughs> slightly, a slight difference. You, uh, upward spiral versus a downward spiral. We could, there we you could go. Say. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting to to see your work. Part of the reason that I, I reached out to you is because your work is is different than a lot of the work you see on Artist Alley. Um, uh, if you go, you, you see a lot of, you know, comic book artists or people recreating pop culture figures, things like that. Yours was, um, at least from what I could tell, fully unique. Um, uh, obviously, uh, in, in a very interesting style, and we'll talk about the style of it in a little bit, but um, how do you kind of see yourself kind of fitting in that kind of con setting? Um, I had to admit I was intimidated at first because um, I'm totally cool doing uh, fan art for commissions. And, um, you know, I don't look down on fan art at all. I love seeing like people's different interpretations of like pre-existing characters with their own flair, but how I fit in it, um, I definitely was afraid when I started out that I wouldn't quite belong because it's like people already have no attachment to um, what I make. There's not really anything yet known about these characters I draw. And so I was, I had, I felt like I had to try harder to, um, capture people's attention that way because they only have a few seconds to kind of lock on to what you're doing. But I think that I still feel like there's a bit of a place for me and some other like macabre or sci-fi artists because it's like we still are kind of under the same umbrella as what's popular with, um, you know, comics, anime, uh, like even, even fiction works, you know? And so I kind of feel like separate, but attached to it at the same time, if that makes any sense. So <laughs> Sometimes I feel like an outsider to it, but at the other times I'm like, you know, it's, I go to Artist Alley and I find my peeps immediately. So. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a valid point. And I think, 
um, not to uh, kind of assume with your work, but I, I do think I see some some like darker anime elements into it, like the use of the eyes and the way like some of the eyes bulge and like you would see like an intense anime. I feel like I know the exact picture you're talking about with the <laughs> kid that had like the glowing eyes. <laughs> But I, I do want to, you, you talked about your, your your art having kind of a macabre side to it. And there is a darkness. And I think part of that is, um, you know, obviously subject matter, but also stylistically um, your work. And uh, we'll share links uh, so people can actually see your work um, is, is pen and ink for the most part. And it's very intricate. And there are a lot of like intertwining lines. And it, there's an intensity because there's a lot of black um, from the ink and, and you don't uh, shy away from using the ink. Um, is that something that you just feel like fits you or? I feel like it kind of helps communicate better, like what I want to put out with art. And it was just the one medium that I felt it's not like you, I overthink it. It was just like, yeah, this feels right. And so like with color and stuff like that, I feel like there's infinite possibilities for color. And that actually kind of hinders me from like finishing Mm-hmm. work and so I feel like pen and ink just allows me to get out exactly what I have in my in my head and just like know when there's a finishing point to it so it kind of gives you more of a focus yeah I actually yeah that's I agree completely okay that's really cool um could you maybe take me through a little bit of the the process of creating a, a new piece uh yeah I feel like with the most recent piece I created it was a child subject that kind of had smoke emanating from their iris and kind of like a mess of of like wires above their head with all these like crazy like bird creatures emerging from it which sounds really silly when I describe it but for that specific picture um I I actually and I think this applies to a lot of my art I kind of start with an emotion a little bit and so sometimes I'll just kind of draw a face with nothing around it and I'll try to figure out like what what kind of sounds so silly what kind of energy am I trying to get from this expression like what it's not so much about like what the character is about but what am I trying to like feel through this and so with that picture and I think lots of again lots of uh, other pieces of art follow this pattern I start with an emotion I kind of just start from the center and draw around it and so there will just sort of be a mess of like organic or mechanical elements and it then is just becomes more of like what can I do to bulk up the composition and so some of it is just sort of like almost stream of consciousness it doesn't really have to do with the specific story or anything like that it's just kind of like okay brain what's next and on occasion like if I'm drawing especially creatures that have a very specific form like um, birds sparrows Um, I will like look up reference for them and, you know, sketch those on the side. Um, A lot of the times I don't like studying art. And so I use these uh, finished pieces as a way to force myself to study. And so I'll do that on this side and then incorporate it into the piece. And then I'll just kind of like get feedback from friends and be like, oh, hey, does this look balanced? Does this look okay? But it usually kind of starts from the center and kind of explodes outward. (laughs) Okay. I can see, I can totally see that. I was just kind of looking as you were talking at some of the, your examples online and I, uh, that idea of starting with an emotion totally comes through. Uh, I, I was looking at the one with, with the, the child and the birds you were just talking about, or um, I, I don't know if it's like a space helmet or what's going oh, on. I know that one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But there's like that, in, like a, an intense sense of like fear to me when I see it, which is very interesting. Well, thank you. Um, 
so I, like looking at your work, obviously there are some things we mentioned anime. Um, it feels like um, you have some definitely some Eastern influences in your work. Uh, could you talk maybe a little bit more about um, what influences and in, what influences inspires you around you? Yeah, for sure. I don't read and watch a ton of like anime and manga nowadays, but mm-hmm. I grew up with it. Um, it to me as a kid, I remember like watching some of these cartoons or reading these comic books and thinking like there's something like you don't think about like U.S. versus Japan or where else some of these cartoons come from. But you look at it and you're like, there's a, there's some detail in this that I don't see in a lot of the stuff that's broadcasted normally, like the shading, the the glistening on the eyes. Like I was really attracted to that kind of thing. And so that sort of started my um, interest in like Eastern comics and art, things like that. And also having a background where like I come from Chinese descent even. And so sometimes I look toward like mythology related to that, that I see sometimes celebrated um, on that side of the family. But anyway, going back, it's like my inspiration just kind of started from geeky stuff. And then even though I'm not like as immersed in that world nowadays, it kind of still has its fingerprints because in like my art, because that is the stuff that was the first to inspire me growing up. That makes sense. It totally makes sense. And I could see uh, some of the Chinese influences in some of your pieces as well. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and you mentioned color earlier, how you, you kind of limit yourself, but you do use selective color in your work. And I think that's very effective. How do you go about deciding like if something's going to get color and if, if what that color is going to be? I'll be honest, like a lot of the times I draw everything in like black and white. And if I feel color, it would benefit from color. I'll add like one or two max. Um, but most, the most part, there's a lot of works I have that are just black and white that when I've tried to add color to, I'm just like, I think I've kind of come, come to terms with the fact that if I imagine it in black and white, it's probably going to stay in black and white. If I like, if there's like no necessary, there is no necessity for color. It's just like, I'm not going to force that on the picture. But there's other times where I feel like the emotions or whatever I'm trying to get out of the picture will be heightened by like an electric pink or like a somber blue. And I'll Mm -hmm. make sure that that's going to be part of the process from the very beginning. But yeah, like it's kind of like what I said before. Um, I've tried doing like even being a colorist for a small project. And I found that some people, they, they just know what they're looking for. And with me, having an entire spectrum to work with makes me feel like it's never done and so I'm like hey power to people that can just work beautifully with that kind of thing for me I'm a lot more rigid (laughs) do you think part of that comes from your graphic design background too um totally (laughs) like I went to I went I went to design school as well and like that idea of don't just fill it with everything like be selective use things for a reason um and uh, yeah so I kind of noticed that as well but I think that works with yours and I like that you're using these very like vibrant colors to 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 express something along with that very dark inky thing you've got going on um i think you're right if you'd added like a bunch of colors to something it would it would it would start to take away from all that ink work thank you um one of the one of the coolest things is uh when i when i when i when i came to your booth you were selling t-shirts and they weren't screen printed t-shirts they were relief cut print uh print shirts um, which is, is interesting. Uh, how did you go from going from pen and ink into relief? You know, it's funny because, um, like, because I was a graphic designer and this is, uh, kind of a bit of a detour, but I used to do a lot of like graphic design for car companies. 
And yeah. especially like with ones that have like lots of trucks in their lineup, they always wanted like grunge effects and everything in their <laughs> art, which is like, you know, like going through the channels and kind of re removing some of the layers or adding like a multiply to make it look grimier than it actually is. And so when I was doing pen and ink art, I was always like adding to my finished works back when I started in Ars Alley and had no, like, no idea what I was doing. I was like, yeah, grunge texture, that'll make it look cool. And so it's funny, it kind of accidentally ended up being this way. But at one point I was talking to another artist friend who packaged her items using a handmade stamp. I was like, that's a good idea. I want to like make a stamp. And I kind of didn't want to have a third party produce it. I was like, what if I just made my own? And that introduced me to stamp making, which introduced me to uh, relief printmaking. And one of the things I noticed about it is that the weathered texture and the grunge textures are all naturally part of the process. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so it immediately spoke to me because it had that high contrast feel of the type of, the type of like pen and ink work I do, but also that kind of uh, natural weathered look to it. And I was like, this is, I didn't mean to find this out, but like, this is perfect for the kind of stuff I did. So I started small and I made like some stickers and then it kind of became like a test of pushing boundaries. Like, okay, so I made a sticker. What if I made a print? Okay, I made a print. What if I make a t-shirt? Okay, I made a t-shirt. What if I do a two-color t-shirt without registration? And it, I just fell in love with the process. That's kind of how it like tumbled into that. I mean, that's awesome. And I, I, as soon as you started talking about grunge, like a grunge texture, I knew exactly what you're going with. Yep. And it, it, it is very interesting because I think um, a lot of graphic designers, uh, they get stuck on the idea that things need to be created digitally or mm -hmm. found digitally. And um, I, I think I came up like right as like it became kind of became the thing where everything was just done digitally. And now I'm finding like, let's do things by hand and get that, that, that re like real humanity of it. And that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, that something's not going to go right, but it's going to be beautiful the way it doesn't go right. Um, and I think that's interesting too, because like you're doing pen and ink and you're doing relief printing. Um, and a lot of the artists, a lot of artists, a lot of illustrators now even are going so much for further into like digital um, you know, digital drawing, using a tablet to draw, like, you know, um, how do you feel like that, that works with you? Do you, do you, do you find like the digital is something you try to avoid or is it something that you're like incorporated a little bit or how, where do you sit with that? So this is gonna, this comparison is going to sound super lame, but I remember, by the way, this could be like wrong. I remember hearing that like Hayao Miyazaki, um only allows for like 10 percent of his movies his animated movies to be um like helped through digital tools or hmm. something like that and i am not a huge stickler about my art i'm just kind of like art is art you know smack on table <laughs> but um <laughs> i i do try to keep things as like tangible as possible and so i always think it's like hey that's kind of a fun rule to go by that with what i do it's like it's not like um digital art is the devil it's just like i want to try and right. keep it as little of a, as a pro as little part of the process as i can and so like i will say 100 percent, buying an ipad was one of the best purchases i made for my business because you can sketch so much with it and you can use it as a great tool to like um do studies of anatomy or while looking at the picture right alongside the sketch like it's a, it really speeds up 
the conception part of my art of like trying to get ideas down. But once I have that, it's like, okay, it's go time. Try to, let's try to just do this a hundred percent by hand or without um, the aid of just like, I don't know how to describe it without, without just kind of relying on it as a crutch. You know what I mean? And so I'm more than, I'm super enthusiastic about having digital, um, digital art be part of the process, but I want to make sure that I stay grounded to the things that I actually love using. That's, that's great. Um, we kind of, we brushed on, <laughs> brushed on a little bit of a pun by accident on the pen and oh. ink kind of thing. Um, do you, how did you like start using pen and ink specifically? And like, is there certain like things that you use or products that you use that you're like, I like, this is my go-to part of the process or anything like that? Um, you asked how I got into pen and ink, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that was just, um, I don't really know how I specifically got into it. I always knew that like when I was making finished pieces before I did this whole artist thing, I was always drawing more with ballpoint pen than I was doing like uh, pencil and charcoal, graphite, you know, all that stuff. Like it, it always felt, I always felt like uh, finalizing something with ink. It just felt more finished to me. And again, like I was really inspired by manga. And so I was like, this looks like one of my mangas, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> that looks cool. And so I think that having that interest initially um, really made me, no pun intended, also drawn. <laughs> but, um, and what was the second part of that question again? Are there certain tools or things that you use that are like your kind of go-tos? Uh, actually, I, part of my like journey um, into the whole pen and ink thing is, and learning more about like how mangaka, the people that, you know, produce manga work is looking into dip pen and ink. And so you have like a pen holder, you have a metal nib, which there's various kinds that differ in like flexibility and the lines they produce. I tried that out for a little bit and I was like, wow, this is really awkward and stayed away from it for two years. And then at one point I lost my technical pens. I was like, okay, I'll give this a second shot. And I was like, whoa, this is actually, I don't know what went right this time, but using like the pen holder with the metal nibs and like a matte dip ink there was something so satisfying about the process like it you might just kind of get lost in the zone while creating a picture but then you look at it when it's done and you're like dude I did that <laughs> it was just like <laughs> technical pens are still awesome and they're portable you can take them to cafes and whatever but I feel like forcing yourself to stay at home using these dip pen and inks and really produce like whatever types of lines you want that was that was kind of like an aha moment where I was like all right I, I think I found my holy grail. That's awesome. That's so, so not sticking with just a ballpoint from like office max, which by the way, those are still awesome. Like I've seen people produce crazy ballpoint pen stuff, but that was like the start of the journey. And then sure. it just sort of like with any artist, you you're like, well, I don't want to always do ballpoint pen. I'm going to try a technical pen. Well, I'm going to try like this loaded br brush pen. And then it, it just kind of, you just try new stuff and find out like what you like. No, that totally. And I think what's interesting is talking about going to the dip pen and then like not, it not working for you and then coming back later and, and all of a sudden finding it, it's almost, it almost sounds like, you know, you just weren't ready yet for that. And then when you got back to it, it was like, now it works because you were just got to that point. I really think so. And that's kind of also um, given me a new mindset where if, 
if something's just not working, whether it's an idea or a drawing or the facial expression, like there's no failure in just even giving yourself like weeks, months, years to kind of take a break from that idea and come back to it. Like it might just be that you're not prepped to handle that, that yet, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about um, the business side a little bit, not necessarily, I shouldn't say just the business side, but the idea of what makes an artist successful? Like, what do you see for yourself as uh, a factor in being successful? Oh, man, I think um, we've kind of dirtied the word networking, but that is definitely a huge part of it. And I'm not talking about like, trying to be fake nice to people to earn social (laughs) points. Like that, that crap is... Look, I, I dealt with enough of that in graphic design and trying to do a bit of my, myself that just sucks your soul out. But like really connecting with other artists, like if you're, for example, like Twitch was actually huge for me and kind of getting my business going because you're broadcasting yourself to an audience and you're telling them about what you do, how they can support you. Like I'll say, hey, if you like what I do and you want something cool, like grab a T-shirt, supports the stream. And if not, you lurking here, that's totally cool. That's a way of networking. But if Twitch is too daunting, like join art discords, connect with artists on Instagram whom you admire and you'd be surprised like how much kind of back and forth can be done from that. There's there's some artists I met through Instagram and then later through real life that we're now peers to each other. Um, and so if you're if you're a bit antisocial and the face to face thing is a little daunting, there's always that I still I still try to tell other artists that really want to make it like full time. And don't get me wrong, I'm still figuring that, this out myself to try and go to like art craft, like art shows locally, L- like get connected with local artists, um, try to apply to some of these craft fairs yourself and ask questions, like learn about like the local suppliers and the businesses that will um, may help you get to a point you want to go, if, if that makes any sense. So I think like networking is a huge part of it, but also, um, and I sometimes have added this myself, but um, you kind of have to kick away a little bit of humility and just be unafraid to promote yourself and what you're doing on social media. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. You mentioned Twitch cause I was actually going to ask you about Twitch a little bit because, um, you're, you're on Twitch and you do streams where you're, you're both interacting with the people watching, but also working on your work at the same time. Um, a, how did you start? How did you start getting into Twitch? And then B, um, how is that being able to balance like working on your art as well as interacting with the people watching? Well, it's so how I got into Twitch. Well, first of all, I know I've known about Twitch for years. Um, the idea I was always that kid that if I was drawing and somebody looked over my shoulder, like I would close in my forearms so they couldn't see. Like <laughs> I hated people watching my process. So WonderCon 2019, my booth was visited by some other streamers that did that kind of dark surrealism type of art. And they were like, hey, we're Twitch streamers. You should totally check out Twitch. I was like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, and so I watched some of their streams and they they were chill. You know, they weren't like, there, there was no gamer rage or any of like what we think of Twitch streamers. There's none of that in the art section. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then um, late 2019, early 2020, it's like I just kind of woke up in the middle of the night and was like, I'm going to make a Twitch channel. <laughs> like, it, I kid you not, it came from absolutely nowhere. 
Like it, it just was something I probably maybe like kind of dreamed about. And then I got inspired and started buying some streaming gear and tools and everything. And I also noticed I did one practice stream on Facebook and it was definitely an adrenaline rush at first, but having even two other people there talking to me as I worked made me feel like I could work longer. So mm-hmm. with WonderCon 2020 or 2020 approaching, I decided to make this Twitch account to have that kind of accountability from the audience of like knowing there's eyes on me as I work, but not seeing the stairs directly. And so I, that's how I started my Twitch account. And I just kind of found that um, at least when I'm in my comfort zone, I can be a chatty person. And so that allowed there to kind of be a lot of interaction on my channel. And of course that was like right before the pandemic happened. And so the, that timing was, I'm not saying there's like great things about the pandemic, but at least for me, it was kind of impeccable that I had everything set up before the world kind of went to crap, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, it's Twitch is now like a big part of my, my work. And again, it's like, it's not always just about me, um, being like, ta-da world, look what I'm doing, but it allows me to connect with other artists. I've met some people on Twitch, like at C2E2 and they're wonderful. Like it, it really is just kind of crazy how all of that stemmed from me just kind of waking up and being like all right I'm gonna do this (laughs) but um yeah if you have any other questions about that let me know I kind of went on a bit no that that was great um I I actually do have a little bit of a question um the conversations that happen on your on your twitch do they do you feel like it's mostly people asking about what you're working on or your process or is there like casual conversation um things like that there's a mix of all of it. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely do have questions thrown at me and there's no reason to get like impatient with them. If, some, if people ask the same thing over and over again, cause it's just like, Hey, it's cool that they're interested. Like I'm very thankful for that. And so I even have an FAQ section to address some of those, but there's, there's a little bit of questions. And I actually think it's really respectful when people kind of, some people come in, they're like, Hey, I have questions. Can I kind of unload this on you? I'm like, sure. Thanks. Thanks for like giving me a bit of like mental prep so that I can be in the mindset to ask that kind of, or to answer this kind of thing. But a lot of it's casual conversation. Um, A huge, the the Twitch art section is like surprisingly wholesome. So a lot of the people in the chat, I, I don't, sometimes we're talking about art, but other times we're just kind of talking about our week because the Twitch, Twitch art broadcasts are kind of like a communal space. We're just, it's like a study party in college. You're just all trying to work and be motivated by each other. And so there's a lot of people that will talk to you for a bit and talk about like, I don't know, some game they went to or the coffee they drink and they'll just be like, okay, I'm going to lurk now. So they're not like submitting any messages, but we're all just sort of trying to feed off each other creatively. So sometimes we talk about art, but at the same time, we already know that that's what we're doing. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it's not always like the focus of the conversation it gets it gets silly like very easily too it's it's such an interesting thing and i've i've watched a little bit of of your streams and then i've seen some of your tiktok videos as well um i think it it it, and i i don't know if you feel this way but like it's almost like these this the streaming of of creating of art and the videos like that that we're seeing now is almost like the next generation of the joy of painting where you know you have bob ross painting and part of it is actually experiencing that but there's also kind of a zen-like feel to seeing the creation happen Mm -hmm. no it's 
For sure. I feel that way when I watch other streamers. I'm like, I'm just as much of an audience member as I am a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. And so I find that Twitch has very quickly become like a form, like some of my primary entertainment for the day. That's it very interesting. Um, I do want to ask you before we finish up, because um, Crowmera is uh, your moniker. That's what you go by. Um, is there an origin to that, that name? It's actually really funny, but uh, I was like, at my last graphic design job, I was, uh, I wanted to create an Instagram account for my art. I wanted to like get it going because despite me like doing art full-time nowadays, I was the kind of person that I could go like months without working on a finished art piece. Like there are some years I had where I would only have like one finished thing throughout the year. And considering I was a kid that like doodled in the margins a lot, that kind of felt like heartbreaking when I realized that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make an art account. I want there to be a foundation for this so that if I ever do it full time, um, I I started now at least. And so I was trying to come up with a name for all of my accounts so I could be like anonymous and Cryomera was like the first name I came up with because it was a combination of the words cryo and chimera. Mm. And chimera made a lot of sense to me because like some of the stuff, even if it's more humanoid, is still kind of monstrous or like warped in nature. And then cryo, cryo was a little bit more of a a stretch, but um, I know that that's like a prefix used in a lot of sci-fi. Cryo, like cryovac, cryo chamber, cryo this, cryo that. And it just kind of felt especially it being this sort of glowy blue (laughs) also kind of uh, meshed in with my artwork well and I came up with like 20 other names and that was the only one that stuck and I also kind of liked how it sounded like fearful and feminine at the same time like I feel like and especially in a lot of sci-fi and horror there's not just like there's not a lot of like feminine or like delicate energy sometimes and I still wanted that to be like a subtle part of my work. And so I just, I just like the sound of it. I think that's a, actually a valid point about a lot of dark sci-fi. It's like, everybody thinks of things like HR Geiger and things like that. And um, the idea of, of having some feminine energy to it. And I think your work does, and it's not like, you know, something super feminine, but there is a feminineness to, to some of it that, that adds another level to what is already very kind of dark, very macabre, kind of looking things. Well, thank you. Um, and I also, I, personally, I think the name fits perfectly because not only you, you you mentioned you have these creatures in a lot of these, these almost monster-like beings, but you also have a lot of technical things in some of them, uh, in some of the drawings as well. And so like, it's, it is an interesting balance of those two things that you're seeing. So I think the name kind of fits perfectly. Thanks. I, again, I remember writing it down on a piece of notebook paper. I was like, nah. I'm not gonna, <laughs> there, I don't want to go as like cryo man. It sounds like edge lord. <laughs> it was like two days later and I was like, well, I guess this works. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you have um, on a lot of your social media, a little emblem um, of a figure that's got two sets of hands. One set is over a single eye. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about that? That emblem? Yeah. I call him squat guy. Um <laughs> So around the time I actually came up with the name uh, Cryomera, there was, that was like the first years, I think it was 2016, I've heard of the terms Inktober and like draw December. That was like the start of let's make every month a trend. And now it just seems overwhelming. But <laughs> I, 
I was like, I'm going to do Inktober. And then I like drew three things. It's like, I'm going to draw, do draw Sember. And I drew like two things, but among the thing, the two doodles I did for draw Sember, that weird gremlin-y squatty guy was one of the drawings. I think I, I don't even know if I have the paper on it anymore, but it was just this fun idea I did of this kind of, again, abstract monstrous creature. And I didn't do anything with it for the longest time. I don't think I even posted it anywhere. But when I started to go into the convention scene, they kept asking for logos. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't have a logo. And that's the ironic thing is like, I was um, part of my education included logo design. And that we had all these kind of unspoken rules about what a logo should be. And all I had was this gremlin squat guy. So I was just like, yeah, like that's, it's distinguishable enough. Like you could see it from a distance and kind of get a sense of sort of what it is. So I just submitted it um, with all of these events that I was applying to. And then it just kind of stuck. And so it was kind of an <laughs> anti-logo logo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is fantastic. Well, your yeah. work, your work is amazing i i i really do love it i think it's fantastic and unique and beautiful and so like intricate in in a, in a very poppy way which is a weird thing to say no i seriously appreciate it thank you dude <laughs> yeah no problem um do you uh, do you have any social media handles that you, you you'd like to share yeah, um, I managed to strike out in this area, but I go by Cryomera on almost everything. Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, my cop-out answer is I just tell people, hey, look it up on Google and you'll pro- probably find every single account that I own. And so that includes cryomera.com. Um, I'm most active on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram, but I also have my own website if you want to like contact me for inquiries. Um, TikTok still something I'm working on video (laughs) editing for some reason it's very daunting and not uh satisfying at all to me but I'm working on it so check that out in the future (laughs) awesome I totally understand the video editing thing well thank you Cryomera for joining us um I really appreciate that um thank you to everyone who's listening to connected um if you are please follow us rate and review us on itunes wherever you're listening also you can check out site street studio arts at site street studio arts.org or on social media we're on everything as well site street studio arts um and you can tune in on wednesdays for new episodes of connected so stay connected everyone thank you Connected is a Side Street Studio Arts production. Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected and all the great things Side Street Studio Arts offers, please visit sidestreetstudioarts.org.